how to work with people a whole lot. But, I, you know, it's just something that we all believe in. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, as was as his custom. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found this place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So our Sunday school is on the subject of, uh, of habits, and we've looked at it a number of ways, and last week we started talking about uh, small things and the, uh, the uh, power of habits. Uh, is associated with small things because our definition of a habit is uh, that uh, it is just a repeated behavior of, of little things. Uh, and as we do this, you know, things, little things over and over again, uh, they become very normal to us and we just simply uh, repeat them. And so if you could get a handle on the little things in your life, then that would make a difference uh, towards, uh, uh, you know, managing what kind of person uh, you become. They say that if you want to change a habit, we're going to start talking about that next on uh, breaking habits. But they tell us that if you wanted to change a habit or change your life, the way to do it is to just change one thing in your life. If you could change one thing in your life, then you will create a chain uh, and, uh, and you will see uh, your life change in many ways. Now, many of us, uh, when we got saved, we changed. God did a miracle in our lives. It helped us. Uh, and we just began to make a decision that I want to change some things. Uh, and uh, that change began to the life of God in us changed us. Uh, and uh, we thank God for that. But we want to kind of uh, consider this in a little bit different way. I'm not dismissing that at all, but uh, even as Christians, sometimes we struggle with bad habits. Can you say amen? Okay. And so if you're here this morning and say, I've been a Christian for a while, I'm no longer uh, the person that I used to be. We, we talked about that a few weeks ago, about how you could be radically delivered from drugs and alcohol, uh, from profanity, and yet in some other area of your life still wrestle with a certain habit still struggle with with something and so uh, uh you know if, if you could change something little in your life that little change begins to play itself play itself out in very very powerful ways uh and so uh just to get our heads uh where we're headed this morning we re let's remember that the bible uh tells us over and over again that the power is in the little thing and not the big thing. Okay, the language of the New Testament especially is of the seed. A faith, that seed, that little thing, can uh, blossom into a powerful tree in which all of nature comes and finds refuge. Uh, the Bible says that the word of God is a seed that if we go and we scatter throughout the earth that there will be 
a wonderful harvest of souls and that every person who's ever shared the gospel and ministered and spoken words and walked away from a witness or an outreach kind of feeling like, you know, did this really make a difference? Was this really significant? And you walk away, but by faith we say, you know what I did? I just scattered seed. And it may look like it's small, it may look like it's minor, but the power is in the seed. Uh, to uh, uh, see what God is doing. We had our pastors uh, retreat this past weekend and uh, tremendous, uh, tremendous time. Around 50 couples were there. These are just workers from, uh, that have come from this church, uh, generationally, uh, uh, just that are located in the vicinity that could drive. You, you look at that and you think what they represent is just a miracle of God's grace, but all that was was just a seed. Something minor, something small and insignificant. Uh, and yet, when we sow the word of God, we have no idea, and it's all contained in a little seed. The Bible says that giving is a seed. That if we sow abundantly, we will reap abundantly. And that, you know, I think one of the main things that we sometimes underestimate is associating our giving with the blessing that's come into our lives and realizing that that comes from just a seed being sown. That, you know, if I just sow this seed, God can get involved. I was uh, recalling a story I've shared here a few times in sermons about a, a king, a very benevolent king who all his subjects you to be a super generous man and if you ever had an audience with him people would come away from his presence uh, with gifts and, and expressions of his generosity and so these rumors and stories circulated throughout the kingdom so that whenever somebody had a chance to see the king there was this hope that if I actually spoke to him he would give me something of wealth. So the story goes that one day this king goes into one of his villages and as he's coming, he has all of his soldiers and accompany him with him. And so it spreads quickly through the village. The king is coming and here are all these poor peasants. And so they're so excited because this is the lottery day. You know, this is a day, you know, here's my, my golden opportunity. And so they all gather in the village square and as the king comes and he's riding on his horse uh, and the subjects are all looking at him, hoping that he notices them and he approaches them. There's one poor uh, farmer there standing and the king sees him for some reason. He's drawn to this man and as he's drawn to him, this man is like, this is it, this is my lucky day, I'm, you know, and the king comes to him and says to this subject, what do you have to give your king? And it's like, excuse me, you know, I'm a poor farmer, you're a rich king, what do you have to give to me? And so the man, not knowing what to do, you know, reaches into his pouch with his seed, grabs one kernel, one seed, and just gives it to the king. And the king, king takes the kernel, holds it in his hand, squeezes it, and then returns the seed to the man. And he rides away. The man's just standing there trying to figure out what happened, and he took him, and he looks, and that seed had become solid gold. He realizes that, you know, if I would have just given him my whole bag, 
you know, giving is a seed. Giving is a seed. A little boy gives a lunch and thousands of people are fed. And so the kingdom of God operates on this principle. All of nature, every time we go outside and we see trees and we see grass, and then we have to remind ourselves that all of this beautiful greenery we were enjoying right now in San Antonio was just at one time just seeds. Little, little seeds, nondescript, unimportant, didn't matter. And yet, they've changed the very landscape of our city. That's the power of the seed. And so, this is true when it comes to our choices in life. When you and I make decisions, little decisions, those little decisions add up. And when you make the same decision again and again and again, unbeknownst to us, we create a momentum to make that decision likelier the next time. Make that choice likelier the next time. We choose to go down this road, then the next day, we will be drawn to that same road. You choose to go down that same road seven days in a row, then very likely on the eighth day, you're going to naturally choose that road. Every Sunday school in the morning, I remind you, generally what we did this morning is exactly what we did last Sunday morning. And so we find the power of small things. Um, uh, let's uh, open it up here for a minute before I go on here. Josh. Daniel, anybody else? Any other hands? We're talking about small things, just kind of get our brains working this morning. Anybody else? Okay, Tony and then Beatrice. So we got four of them this morning. Go ahead. Okay, since we're talking about small things, <coughs> sorry, since we're talking about small things, it uh, reminded me of uh, what we were learning recently in my health class, and uh, we were learning about diseases. And uh, a lot of diseases are caused by bacteria. And uh, a lot of these diseases can be cured by, like, antibiotics. And so uh, there's usually a doctor gives you a prescription, you know, take this for seven days and uh, complete it fully. And a lot of times what happens is, uh, you know, people take the medicine, you know, four or five days, and uh, it clears up, you know, whatever's inside of them a little bit. And, you know, they're feeling better. And, you know, they're like, well, you know, I don't need to take this medicine anymore. But little do they know, you know, there's still some bacteria in there that's not fully killed off. But, there's, uh, you know, it's, they've killed enough to where they feel better. And uh, what happens is it, it's called antibiotic resistance. And so what happens is, you know, when you don't uh, kill off all the, you know, the small things or, you know, I was thinking, you know, the small habits, you know, they come back and they grow even stronger. And uh, it's even harder to kill. And so, you know, that's why, you know, the doctor says take it from, you know, day one all the way to day seven, even if you're feeling better because you kill it off. And if you don't, you know, you leave a little small part there, you know, it's going to grow back even stronger and it's going to be harder to kill or to get rid of. Yo, Josh, I think, Josh, I think I'm going to have you preach tonight. <laughs> that was good, wasn't it? Isn't that a good insight? Amen. Because that's exactly what we do. And for three or four days, I'm feeling good. I'll save this for the next time I get sick. Very, very good. Yeah. 
Very good. All right. Uh, Daniel. <laughs> okay. No pressure, um, Daniel. <laughs> now, um, well, because we're talking about little things, and so one of the illustrations that came into my head last week, and I, did, I had forgotten all about this, and it just came in my head last week, was uh, one, I remember we went to Tucson Conference my junior year, and there was this guy, he, he wasn't saved, and, um, and this other guy was saved, and he would, the, the guy was, he was telling us, you know, I mean, stuff and everything. And then the next year we went past, we went back again, and it was in my senior year. And um, that guy that wasn't saved before, um, he had gotten saved, and we were all in the car together, including that other guy. And <clears throat> that other guy turned on some music, and it was um, it was worldly music. And the the other guy, um, I, well, you know him, Jonah Cruz. He told her, he said, "Hey, um, can we turn that off? Like, I don't think we should be listening to that. We're we're Christians, and we're in like conference, and we're listening to this." And everybody's kind of like, what the heck? Like, really, man? Like, super spiritual, you know? Like, us teenagers, what's wrong with you or whatever? But now, looking back at it, it was that little, those little decisions that he made as he got saved in his early years because he had been saved less than a year. But those little decisions that he made to say, hey, you know, no, like, I'm not going to let myself go there. I'm not going to let myself do those things. Now he's pioneering in a, in a, in, in a city, and he's doing something for God. And... Like, yes, last week was really where I saw that, that the little things really do not only account for you being saved, but your fruitfulness and seeing God's will fulfilled in your life. And so looking back at it now, that's what really propelled him compared to um, some of his other peers that, that I met, that I knew, who are still just in the church and who, who aren't married yet. But he said, you know what, I'm going to make little stands like that and little things. And now he's doing something great for God, which I, I think contributes to those little things, those little stands that he made. Say, man, there's a uh, importance, uh, uh, very, very a powerful, a powerful uh, principle. And that is that these little things, uh, get Luke 16, 10, throw that up there. Somebody get that for us this morning. Luke 16, 10. It's Greg Johnson. And while we're at it, let's just grab these scriptures. Zechariah 4.10. Zechariah 4.10, Josh. Song of Solomon 2.15. Song of Solomon 2.15. Song of Solomon 2.15, Josh Steele. And um, we'll, we'll get those. So um, what Brent, um, what, Brent, what uh, uh, Daniel was saying is that how these little things make a difference for good or for bad. I remember a, a story that was told to me many years ago by somebody I was still a disciple, Tucson, and um, he was talking about in the early days of the church there that he worked with a couple of other brothers, and they were in the middle of a three-day fast. And I think it might have been the second day, and they were on their way to work, and uh, one of the brothers said, hey, you know, pull in, I'm starving, I got to eat something. And the other two guys were like, you know, hey, you know, fasting, you know, and, uh, and, and you know, this guy wanted to eat, which, you know, people have broken their fast. But, but he said, the thing is, is this guy's attitude, though, the, do, listen, do you really think me eating today is going to make that much of a difference? And he just kind of, it wasn't just that, okay, somebody broke their fast early. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. But it, it, he went into this long discourse about how, I mean, this is just this one thing. Does it really make a difference? And, and, and that attitude. And so that man uh, backslid, and now he backslid. He, he died a very tragic death. And, and I'm not saying that's what's going to happen to somebody. But, 
but just the attitude. Does it really matter? You know, these little things really make a difference, you know. And as like Daniel said, oh, you know, you're, you're just being super spiritual. You're being ultra religious and, uh, and just kind of have just this posture that, well, you know, come on. I mean, is it really going to make a difference? And yet in the Bible, we're told over and over again that absolutely these little things make a dififference. Luke 16:10. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. So the Lord Jesus says, you know that life turns on the little things and that you know when we are when we pay attention to the little things and we deal with them and handle them properly, that they uh, accrue to us. And we, we are able to do things and we're able to function and have greater responsibility in life. But if we're not faithful in these little things, okay, how many of you got a job when you were a teenager, maybe working fast food? This is back before they were striking. And uh, I asked somebody who worked at McDonald's, are you going to strike, huh? And, uh, and so I don't know how successful they were. But uh, how many here, you, you worked in a fast food at one point, you know what I mean? And your first day there, you know what I mean? And they stuck trainee on you. They might as well slap nerd on your back or kick me. And, uh, and uh, they gave you some uh, grease-stained uh, uh, garment and, uh, and you went out there, and what trainee means is don't trust me, okay? And then they gave you the most basic responsibilities, like picking up trash. Uh, you know, I don't think the first day they had you counting the day's receipts or anything like that, interviewing new workers. They, they gave you the least amount of responsibility possible because they wanted to see if they could trust you to sweep the floor to mop, to carry out the, the, the rodents, whatever responsibilities you had there. And, and it said, okay, if you'll do that, then we will trust you with something more. We will, we will dude, we'll let you be at the fryer. And, uh, you know, they, they built you up. And because it always comes down to the little things. It always comes down to those small things and what you're doing. Number three. Oops, number three, number three, Tony. Um, uh, one of the little things uh, that I was, I was actually thinking of was, um, you know, when I first got saved, I learned a little bit about uh, video games. And I knew that, you know, sometimes I, I shouldn't be playing them and, like, you know, at times. And I was always having a mind battle with this, like, okay, well, in the Bible, it never says don't play video games. And but yeah, I don't think I, I've seen that. Verse yeah, yet. I I've never seen that verse. So I was thinking it's was, right there next to "Thou shalt not smoke cigarettes." <laughs> but what I really uh, linked it to was um, that you know what what you kind of waste your idle time on, and um, what I was what I was actually doing was I would rather you know play a video game than sit down and read my Bible or uh, go, you know, go and pray. And, um, you know, it really got in the way of my life at a time. And what it really started with was the small things. I would, I would quit. It was just the same cycle over and over again. I would quit and then, uh, you know, I'd have a conversation at school about a game 
and then from there I would look up a YouTube video and then from there you know that YouTube video would lead me to the game and I was like okay well I'll play for five minutes and five minutes turns into an hour and then the next day you know that hour turns into five hours and then it's just like I'm back on it and um, what uh, there's a scripture in Proverbs 12:3. It's called. It says, "A man is not established by wickedness, but the root of the righteous cannot be moved." And I really like that scripture because, um, you know, any wicked, you know, habit can always be broken, and uh, nobody's really bound to it. And I had a, always had it, you know, in my mind, like, well, I was, I'm bound to this. Like, I can't get rid of it in my life. And like, this is, you know, my free time, like, uh, my entertainment only. And what I had to do is I had to find joy in the Lord. And that's exactly what I found. And that, um, you know, it was the root of the righteous that cannot be moved. So, you know, I didn't move God out of my life. God was still in my life. Um, but I just had to break, you know, the wicked habit that was in there. Very good. So you have um, a, a, a very good observation Tony makes. And some of us that are older... Uh, you know, we forget how different the world has become since uh, we moved on in life. When I was a kid, I remember walking into the bowling alley, probably when I'm 11 years old, and there was a, uh, you know, you had your normal pinball. And then there was a, a, a screen, and it was a game called Pong. How many of you remember Pong? Okay. And it was the first video game I ever saw in my life. And you just took a knob and you just moved a thing up and down and the ball bounced. And, and I mean, and this was high tech. And this is futuristic. Whoa. Whoa. Look at that. Whoa. And, uh, and I mean, we were, we were there. And... Uh, but because of that was technology, and I just, I never, by the grace of God, got into video games. I probably played Pac-Man about three times in my life. But it just wasn't an addiction. This generation of, of young people, they've grown up in this stuff. The technology, uh, the things that are there, I mean, the images uh, that are there. In fact, that, that, you know, that tell me now that the, the young stuff for parents, if you've got small, especially boys, you know, and you want to make sure they're a man, so you let them have Grand Theft Auto and uh, all these ultraviolet video games. Please don't do that to them. You might as well take them to a dirty movie. Because they're raised in this. And the, the, the thing about what Tony's talking about is that, you know, because of the visual imagery, it's more than just another habit. You're talking about something that's changing the way people's brains are wired. Read the book, The Shallows. It is rewiring their brains and has a very powerful, powerful impact on them, more than most because of the visual and the interaction that's involved there. And then the imagery that they're, they're, they're seeing has a powerful appeal. Sex and violence is a very powerful appeal to uh, adolescent boys. And so this is, this is the society that we're living in. Let me tell you a story. I was in uh, China last week and uh, I was with the Galindos. We had a tremendous service. We had a couple of very dramatic healings. And I mean, so when we were done, 
I was just swamped with people who wanted prayer and different things. And a, and a, a woman in the church there who speaks uh, very good English came up to me and said that this woman, she introduced me to this Chinese woman, and she says that she wants me to pray for her son because he's addicted to video games. And she said that her son was a top student in school, and he got involved in video games, and he cannot disconnect from them. And so now he's failing. All he wants to do is play video games from the moment he wakes up to at nighttime. And when she's telling me this, and now we're moving through a translator, and there's a uh, young man standing there. And I thought, well, I guess this is, so I, I tried to address him, and, and you know, and I realized he's just a young man who's standing there. That's not, he's not the one. And, and so they, I, they pointed, and there's about a 10, 11 year old boy, and he's sitting down. Let's see if I can do this. Because it was, it was, it was hideous. You know, he's, he's sitting down, and he's like, he's sitting, and he's like this. I mean, it's exactly how his mother described him. And I went over to him through a translator and tried to talk to him. And he's just hunched over. I mean, in, a, in totally different world. The whole service, he was just, a, and when I tried to address him and talk to him, he just kind of did never change his posture. He just kind of looked up at me, smiled at, like demons, and then just went back to this game. Now, I wanted to say, Grab the stupid device out of his hand and break it. Hey, but I, I Pioneer Church, you know, just getting started. I didn't want to start an international incident. But, but I mean, you, you, you saw that, that, that there's something very, very wrong. This is happening all over China because China has gone from the 19th century to the 21st century. They, they skipped the 20th century. And so devices like this, Japan, it's a very, very real problem. Same thing, the bondage to uh, uh, this, uh, uh, these devices and video games and uh, a lot of these things. This is a major problem, especially in Asia, but what's happening here. And, uh, and so exactly what our brother's saying. You, ah, video games, that's just a little thing. No, that's a small thing, not that big a deal. But it's becoming a very, very big deal. This uh, young man, Adam Lanza, who shot and killed all those children, all he did was sit down in the basement surrounded by monitors in his million-dollar home and play video games until he began to act on them. Beatrice? Um, going back to attitude and everything, uh, I have a sister, a relative, um, that was heavy into drugs and she um, totally messed up her life in that. And so she came to the point that uh, CPS was after her and she came to the point that she almost lost all of her kids. And so, but you know, she was always in and out of church, in and out of church, in and out of church. And so, um, and everything, when everything would go bad, she knew that if she went to church, you know, God will help her and everything. And so she would go back. And, uh, and then she would get everything right, get off the drugs, uh, go through all the tests and classes with CPS, get her kids back, you know, and then the whole cycle will start over again. And so I was always wondering, like, why does she do this? And so what it came to it is that she had this mentality that I'm just a sinner. 
I'm not perfect. God understands me. And uh, uh, I can't be like you is basically what she said. I can't be like you. And, you know, I'm just not a perfect person because I'm basically a sinner. And basically she was saying that this is going to be her life because, you know, she's not a perfect person and, you know, and stuff like that. And we're all not perfect and we all have these tendencies. And so, you know, and so uh, it was just, a, it's just a sad story seeing the cycle over and over again and stuff. And so, uh, and, you know, I'm trying, you know, trying to talk to her like, hey, you know, what you're saying is God can deliver you. You know, when that's not true, you know, God, you know, that's what he does is he delivers you and he could change your life. He goes, no, she was like, you know, but I'm not perfect. And that's just her whole mentality is I'm not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I need one more verse, Micah 5.2. Moan, get that for us, Micah 5.2. Um, and so absolutely, you know, I, when, when you said that, I remember my brother Fred, hearing him tell a story about being in San Francisco on a bus and this guy's on his cell phone, and the guy, you know, he's trying not to listen, but the guy's loud. And, he, and, and basically the story is the guy's just got out of prison. He's, he's um, you know, trying to get his life together, and he's, you know, hey, I'm out. It's it. This time I have a new leave, different, you know, I'm getting a job. I'm not going back. I'm going to get my life together. All I'm going to do is smoke a little weed, and that's it. That's it. Smoke a little weed. Oh, I'm not a crackhead. I'm not a drug addict. You're smoking a little weed. I mean, no, you smoke a little weed, you're going to end up doing everything else. See, this is the mentality. Pastor, you know, over the years and people, you know, just the pastor, I'm just having a couple beers. Just going to a dance. I'm not going to dance. You know, these are my friends. And their whole life is about not understanding the, how little things play themselves out. Uh, uh, Song, Song of Solomon 2.15. Catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines, for our vines have tender grapes. The little foxes spoil the vines. Now, Song of Solomon is a marriage book. It's a musical about a wedding the little foxes spoil the vine so we know this is true in marriage you're going to have a successful marriage it's it's not the big things it's the little things amen it's the little things that you do or don't do that often determine the quality of your marriage it's 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 not the big things at all you know the the you know men tend to focus on the big things and you know and the flowers and the candy and amen and uh and uh, do that i remember one time i heard this woman uh she was on the radio and it was on valentine's day and she called in and said i wrote a poem for my husband that said don't give me flowers don't give me candy just get off your butt and make yourself handy and uh, you know it's the little things uh, that 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 make the difference and the bible says the little foxes spoil the vine the little things that that uh, uh, in the casual attitude about them that end up robbing us of fruitfulness withering things in our life and and so 
you know, establishing them in our lives is very, very important. Zechariah 4.10. Absolutely. For who has despised the day of small things? But these things, but these seven will be glad when they see the plumb line in the land, in the hand of Zebubel. These are the eyes of the Lord, which range to and fro throughout the earth. Who has despised the day of small things? Here is the rebuilding of the temple in the book of Zechariah, and uh, you know the attitude of the people surrounding as they're rebuilding the temple and the mockery and the dismissing of this temple. And, and, and they're saying, this, don't despise the day of small things. Don't dismiss it. You know, uh, uh, you drive around our city, you'll see these little pioneer churches up in the medical center on Fredericksburg Road. You drive completely across town down to W.W. White Road, you'll see a little church there called The Door. And, it's, and uh, we were telling the, the workers yesterday, you, you can feel very insignificant pioneering a church. You've got your little 1,200 feet, your 40 chairs, your equipment, your fake plant, and, and you're opening up, and you can feel, you know, next to some mega church somewhere and some slick preacher who's on the TV and the radio, and you kind of like, what am I doing here? But as they're building this temple, rebuilding this temple, don't despise the day of small things. Small things matter. Small things are what become big things. And not to just dismiss that and, and to write that off. Micah 5, verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, thou, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. So what a great, great passage of scripture. You know, we know Bethlehem as the birthplace of the Lord Jesus. And it has that impact on our consciousness. But up until Jesus was born there, it bore very little significance beyond the fact that David was born there. Other than that, it had become a forgotten city. And so by the time Micah comes around, and the book of Micah is really a condemnation of urban life and all that's going on in the big cities, he gives this prophecy about this forgotten city and that from this forgotten city would come forth one that would be ruler of Israel. And he's prophesying the birth of the Lord Jesus and that Messiah would come from this little town. Bethlehem was just a, little, just a little town five miles away. Bethlehem today would be the equivalent of being in Poteet to San Antonio. Okay, not, not uh, uh, I was going to say Bernie, but that's too upscale, all right? Uh, it, or Castroville. You know, it's, we're, we're talking about uh, just, just a, uh, a, I hope you're not offending anybody from Poteet. I think David's here right now. But uh, it would have been a forgotten city. It would have been a byway. You know, you'd have gone by and a little sign, you know, David was born here, you know, and that would have been it. It would have had no significance whatsoever. And yet this small town was going to be used by God. Little things. And that these little things become big things. And again and again, 
we are drawn to this awareness that pay attention to these little things and build your life on them because it is there that you're going to win the victory. You know, one of the traps of religion is to be great at the big things and terrible at the little things. You know what I mean? You've come and, and clap and sing and glad hand and how are you and good to see you and praise the Lord and, uh, and, and rise to the occasion, you know, and the big events. But yet, the, in the little areas of life, just kind of like, it's not that big a deal. It's just a little thing. It's not that big a deal. And when you think most of what real Christianity is, is just a, a series of little things. Coming to church. Just to, I'm going to come to church. I'm going to come. Wednesday, I'm going to come. I'm a revival. I'm tired. It's been a long day. I'm going to come. Drag yourself out of bed and say, you know what, I'm going to pray today. Lay hold of God. I'm going to pray. I'm, you know what? I, I, I'm not feeling very spiritual, but I'm going to read my Bible. Okay. I've got a million things on my mind, but this person sitting next to me, I'm going to talk to them about Jesus. I'm going to find in my conversations a way to bring in the gospel. I mean, there's, there's little things. And by doing that, something is changing. Not doing them, something's changing. Pay my tithes. And it's these, all these little things, the Bible says, are adding up. They're creating a momentum. They're building something in you. And I take you back to what I said a while ago, and that is that one of the reasons why serving God is, I, you know, I'll use the word easier for uh, some than others. It's not because, as Beatrice is saying, that, well, some people are just, you know, born differently and they're just predisposed to be better than others. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with all those little choices are adding up now. And so now all those little things, those tendencies have increased and have developed something. Where in others, it's a struggle to do those little things because they've never done them. Okay, a couple of uh, things here. Bridget, Brent, and Chris. I, I came into work the other day, and Brent was kind of witnessing to the, one of the receptionists. <clears throat> she was saying she was going to go get drunk because her boyfriend cheated on her, and she just broke up with him. And, and he goes, that's not the thing to do. And, and finally he just goes, Mom, tell her. And I'm, I just walked in. I'm like, tell her what? <laughs> tell her. Tell her how, how, how it doesn't work. And so uh, I was like, I just got here. And so anyway, we started to tell her. I started to give her, you know, part of my testimony about just drinking is not, you know, God created you with a hole in your heart. That's not going to feel. It's going to be temporary. You're going to feel so much worse. And I know she was on a diet, so I, so I said, it's like that big chocolate cake that you really want right now, but how are you going to feel 15 minutes from now? And so, um, so then she goes, um, so Brent and I just kept talking to her and and you're just going to feel so much worse. You're going to feel so much more empty. Please do not do this. And so came into work the next day, and she was smiling. And she goes, I didn't do it. I didn't go out and get drunk. I didn't do it. I just stayed home, and I just, you know, did other things. And, I, and, and she was so happy, but it gave us another opportunity. It gave me another, okay, that's it. Jesus did do this. And so it's just given us a wide-open door to witness her. And it was just came in from a 
Brent just planting a seed, it's not going to do. It's going to make it worse. And and my mom used to be just like, <laughs> and so, thanks, honey. And so, but what a difference. The next day, she was so much happy where it would have been so much worse. And just, just planting those seeds. And, and this girl is just so close to getting saved. I, I know it. Right. Um, I've been reading uh, slowly through the book of Daniel, and uh, Daniel's, uh, the book of Daniel is full of so many analogies of uh, men that just, uh, these captives that just, there was their daily habit, and through their daily habits, you know, they're getting in trouble with the king. And, um, and so right now I'm reading about how, uh, how they're trying to find, Darius has just taken over as king, and, uh, and the, uh, the people who practice sorcery are trying to find something wrong with Daniel, and and the Bible says that there was nothing that, that was wrong with him. There there was no big sin that they could find because he was just and a righteous man. But that uh, that the one thing that they could find was that uh, he was a man of prayer, and uh, and so they go to King Darius and they tell King Darius, you know what, uh, you know, why, wouldn't you love it if everyone prayed to you and you were the sole, you know, everyone prayed to you. And, and he's like, yes. And so he signs a decree. Everyone must pray to me. And the very next verse, the Bible says, as it was Daniel's habit, he went and prayed uh, out towards the window facing Jerusalem. And, and the next two verses, it talks about as it was his habit, he prayed three times a day. And it didn't matter what, what laws were signed. This was what he was going to do no matter what was taking on or uh, going on in the pol uh, politics of going around him. And... Uh, and it's interesting because, you know, this is just two, two or three chapters right after his friends get thrown into the fiery furnace and, you know, they survive it. And I kept thinking about, you know, these men, uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and, and Daniel, they had these daily habits where they served God. It didn't, know, it didn't matter what happened. It was their, the little things that they did that, that, you know, these people that hated them and hated their God, uh, that, that's what they found wrong with them. Yes, very good. So... Um, uh, the, we're introduced to them in chapter 1 when they decided we're not going to eat the king's meat, drink the king's drink. Uh, and so it's something as little as diet, what they ate. And yet, then you follow the story through, and whether it's uh, the three Hebrew children now standing in the face of Nebuchadnezzar and his wrath and saying we're not going to compromise or Daniel in the lion's den and you think well, where do people get such moral courage well they get moral courage when it came to something as little as diet something as little something that right there something that others around them they were not the only Jewish boys there they were part of a whole uh, company that had been brought to, to Babylon and yet others there may have said listen I don't think this is a big deal I'm not gonna make a big issue of this whatever these young men, by making this little decision, built the moral courage when, I mean, it, was, it became a life and death matter. And that, that doesn't just happen. You're not born with that. That was the product of those early decisions in life. So it's a real challenge. When I got saved many, many years ago, there were serious challenges uh, as a young man, 16-year-old, of what I was going to do, how I was going to live my life, how I was going to approach coming to church. I was challenged if Christians come to church whenever the doors are open. 
that to feel a, feel a conviction about prayer, reading the word of God, about purity, about disassociating from the world and, and all these radical things. And, and I think they produced the positive fruit of my life. So now we're 35 years down the road and sometimes you can get the pressure. Well, don't put that on these young people. You know, don't, don't make it so hard on them. And you, you, then, but you wonder if you don't challenge them, are they going to have the moral courage when it's life and death? Are they going to find it, the ability when they, the, everybody's demanding you bow down to this image? Or forbidding you to pray? You know, I mean, you, you say, oh, come on, Pastor Ruby. Well, I would have never guessed they'd be marrying men. That we would be living in the age of, uh, where there are people who control the media that are, their, their narrative of the, of, of the world is, you even dare to speak out, we're going we're gonna to cost you. I mean, it, you're going to, you're, that moral courage comes from telling people and teaching people little things do matter. Chris? One of the things I see a lot with, uh, I've had this experience with in teenage Bible study, is people have come to ask me, you know, do you think it's a problem if I go here, or I've, you know, this is a place I go to on Friday or Saturday or whatever it is, or maybe there's a, a party they want to attend, and they're like, no, I'm pretty sure they're a Christian, it's their birthday or whatever it is, and um, and from my personal experience, one of the things that kept me in like a besetting sin for the longest time is my habits on where I choose to place myself, and I would tell them, you know, you can get into a place, basically you're putting yourself in, in a hot zone, a battlefield, and then you're going to try to fight that battle from a position of weakness, as opposed to eliminating that situation from your day altogether and not even going there. And, and sometimes it's not, a, it's not a point of strength to say, well, I'm going you know, to be there and I'm going to hold fast, you know, to my, my uh, you know, against temptation and I'm going to have a strong testimony. He's like, no, don't even go. But, and as a, uh, one of the things that helped me when I was a, you know, backslidden kid coming to prayer, wanting to get my heart right and having the same problems over and over as I had to make my mind up, there were f- phone calls I would make, there were places I would go that I don't need to make and places I don't need to go that my habits of places I'd put myself in were putting me in danger. And I would give that testimony to the teenagers and tell them it may not technically be a sin to be in this place or that place, but it's a high probability you're going to end up in sin if you keep the habit of going into those dangerous places. I can tell you that, you know, you know challenging teenagers to live for God is a, a big deal, and it's a conviction I have from having been a teenager in church. That's why I hear I tell people, Listen, if you're, 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 you're in high school, you have no business dating anybody. And I say that because courtship is meant for marriage, and you can't get married if you're still in the junior in high school, you know, you know, or you shouldn't. And so why open that door, mom and dad? I didn't go to the prom. I was a senior in high school, saved, loved God, the last thing in my mind. Why would I want to go to a dance? And that was a long time ago. It's a lot worse today. I remember years ago, a sister in our church had to, was asked to help out uh, uh, cater, uh, 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 cater a prom. That's what it was. And, uh, and so she came back and said she was, I mean, she was absolutely horrified 
the way the girls dress nowadays at these things. Christians have no business at the prom. Okay? And so, the, but see, there's this mentality, but we don't want to, you know, put too much pressure on them. You know, you know, they, you know, they, they, I remember years ago, uh, a friend of mine, a pastor, and his wife told me the story about their daughter. It was prom night. And, uh, and uh, she was like, I really want to go. I really want to go. I'll, I'll wash the dishes for the next six months, you know, and mow the lawn. I'll change the oil, whatever her promises were. And, um, um, and so they asked this, this pastor, that was evangelist that was traveling through, bad idea. I always tell my minor pastors, don't ask evangelists for advice. And he goes, you know what? Your daughter's been a really good girl all these years. Reward her with trust. Let her go. So they did, and she came back stone drunk. Moved out of the house a couple days later. Fallout of it all. Now, by the grace of God, she got saved. She's in the church today, doing well. But, but, uh, but they had three more daughters after that, and it's like, you are not. And, uh, and they understand that, you know, you're, that's why you're the parent. Amen. You know why? Small things matter. Little things add up. Okay, I see all your hands, but I got to finish up here. Let's just put up this uh, spanning a wild cataract. Let me finish with this this morning, and then we're going to begin with uh, breaking bad habits next, uh, our next meeting, right? So, uh, spanning a wild cataract in the Scottish Highlands, there rises an old bridge built by General Wade at the rebellion to overall the Highland clans. It is a massive structure, such as a soldier might build. And so high does it rise above the rocky defile that it is known in the district as the High Bridge. Till within recent years, it has been open for traffic and it seemed one of the strongest bridges in the country. But now it has been pronounced unsafe and closed for heavy traffic. In a few years, the central arch will probably fall in and the destruction be complete. What has done it? It is a little seed, a tiny birch tree seed that has done it. A gust of wind caught that seed and lifted it into a fissure above the keystone of the bridge. It sank into the moldy line. It germinated in the winter rain. It grew into a sapling, so small at first that a child's hand could have pulled it out. But there was no child's hand to do it. It was allowed to grow into a tree, and now digging its deep roots into the mortar, it has wrenched the solid masonry aside so that its ultimate ruin can only be the question of time. And so that bridge, over which armies have tramped in the past and cannon thundered, that masonry which has defied the tempest of nearly 200 years has at length succumbed to a seed so small that it could be lifted by a gust of autumn wind. So a seed, and you reap a habit. So a habit, and you reap a character. So a character, and you reap a destiny. Little things. You wanted to change. Change something little. Pay attention to something little. Next time, it's like, oh, it's just, it's just five minutes. It's just a blunt, just a glass of wine, just a peep. 
you can get you say you know what this is where I need God to help okay I'm gonna stop right here Lord bless you